Amen. Well, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you this afternoon. I thank you for the words of that song. But I pray more that our hearts can really digest and process what it is to humble ourselves before you, to make ourselves lower, to, to not see ourselves in a haughty way, but in one where we're sober, uh, where we're uh, humbled and knowing that you created us and you created us for a purpose. I thank you for everyone here worshiping you today, and I just pray as we uh, dive into Peter, the letters of Peter, this afternoon, that we will build on the foundation of humility. As we talk about being aliens and strangers, as we talk about being holy as you call us to be holy, we don't want to get full of ourselves, God. We want to be full of you. We thank you again of being so patient with us. When we turn our back, we don't pay attention to you and what you're trying to say to us. You still continue to reach out. And for that, we're grateful. We love you, and all this we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be together. It's great to fellowship with the body. And it's great to be able to hop into First Peter today. And Preston did just a great job of ushering in our time, of processing what we're reading in Peter. Aliens and strangers. I don't know if you guys ever been to a place where you were an alien or where you were a stranger or you were a foreigner in that place. And Martina, she's like, yeah, I just came back from being that for a month. But I had the opportunity to go to Mexico a couple years ago, and that was a place that I felt like I was a foreigner. And you may ask, Clint, how, how did you feel like a foreigner in Mexico, brother? Because it wasn't a lot of people that looked like Clint there. <laughs> it wasn't a lot of people that spoke like me, and it definitely wasn't a lot of people that was six foot one that was there. So I definitely felt like I was a foreigner, like I was a stranger in a new land, because it was a new land. That was my first time in Monterey, Mexico, when we traveled there. But one awesome thing about the kingdom of God is that even when we go to a strange land, we're made to feel like we're at home. Because when we were with the church there in Monterey, they continued to serve, they continue to exalt and say, hey, thank you for coming to visit. So the world in Monterey and the kingdom of God is much different than if, you were, if I were to just travel to Mexico and didn't know anyone because my Spanish isn't fluent and my body language is not quite as communicative as I would like it to be, right? But thank God for the kingdom. But have you been in a foreign land before? Have you been to a place where you didn't even remotely speak the language? I mean, I, I at least took classes in Spanish while in college, so I was familiar at least. But I couldn't imagine going to somewhere like Russia or maybe Australia where they speak a totally different uh, English uh, than we do uh, here. We got a couple uh, that's visiting here for the next few weeks. Y'all can stand up right quick and say hello. Uh, they're visiting, so get a chance to, to say hello. Uh, it's great when we have people coming to visit. 
But the thing I want to really focus on today is how much spiritually do we feel like aliens and strangers in this world? Because we can all agree that this world, it, it's, it's not godly in its essence, right? We can tell by the media. We can, we can tell by the, the daily happenings of this world. But the challenge is to not fit in. The challenge is not for someone to look at you and say, oh, wait, you go to church? Or, oh, I, oh you read your Bible? That's probably one of the more... That's probably one of the scariest things that I can hear from a coworker or a neighbor or someone I play basketball with, where they're totally surprised that I have anything to do with God. But hopefully that's not as said about us, amen? First Peter, aliens and strangers. How many of you guys have started the book already? Many of you guys. If your hand is down, you got time. It's 36 chapters. We're 14 chapters in. Let's get into it. As Preston had mentioned, we want to be unified in our vision of being aliens and strangers together. Because the world right now, they're not reading aliens and strangers right now. They're not diving into First Peter and letting it transform them. And there that be said about God's people, amen? But First Peter, it is written to God's elect who are scattered throughout Asia Minor. These are people that have professed Jesus as Lord. They're disciples of Jesus. They're worshiping God day in and day out. And Peter wanted to write a letter to encourage them, to lift up their spirits, to help them as they suffer, because the church was going through much persecution during that time. He wanted to remind them that your home is not here. Your home is not here on earth. And if you guys could turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, we're going to dive into some of the thoughts that Peter had. What do you say to people that feel like foreigners in this world? What's your message? How do you encourage? How do you lift up those that are going through a rough time in their setting? This is what Peter ended up doing in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll pick up here in verse 13 and read through uh, 16. Peter said, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do. Verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. I was asking the uh, children's ministry uh, this morning when we were uh, taking communion together and asking the worship team uh, as well. How many of you guys woke up this morning and said, okay, this is going to be a day that I'm going to be holy. (laughs) This is going to be the day where instead of just showing up, taking communion, giving my contribution. But I'm, I'm going to be holy to you. I'm going to respond in, holy, in a holy way. How many of you guys thought that this morning? I thought that was the case maybe. Because <laughs> I fit in that same boat. 
It's not too often that I wake up in the morning and I think because my God is holy, my God is set apart, my God is sacred, my God is holy. I don't think that I can be holy as well. And that's no no blame to God. But he, he tries to tell us that I want to create you in my being, in my image. I want to call you out of this world into an awesome life. But we still hesitate to say that I'm holy because he's holy. And I want to say that together right quick. And we're going to say I'm holy because he's holy. One, two, three. I'm holy because he's holy. One more time. I'm holy because he is holy. We can say that if Christ is our Lord. We can say that if we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. We can say that if we keep it in step with the Holy Spirit. Where are you at today? Where are you at? Do you feel like you're an alien in the kingdom of God? Or do you feel like you're an alien on this earth? Do you feel like you're a stranger amongst the disciples and feel more at home with the people that you work with? These are real questions that we have to wrestle with because God is saying through Peter here is that I've created you to be holy. I want to extend my holiness to you so that you can understand what it truly is to be holy. And do we have a Do we have the video ready? What I want to do, uh, before I go any further, I want to watch a video. We watched this video back during our vacation Bible school this summer. The Bible Project, awesome. Six-minute video on what it is to be holy and really, truly having, being able to illustrate holiness for God. So if we can dim the lights and watch this video. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. 
and Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the Most Holy Place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. (laughs) Totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus's purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now, but 
Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. And this time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. That's the end of the video. The holiness of God. One thing that strikes me about what they were showing there with the different illustrations, number one, the, the word of God is awesome, amen? To be able to see some of the illustrations that I've missed reading through the, through the word of God that points to Jesus is dumbfounding. But I'm glad these guys were able to put this together to help us out, Amen. The thing I want to focus on is not be holy first, but because he is holy. One of the things it talked about, this one thing in the Old Testament, it talked about when you touch something that was unclean, what what did that make you? Unclean. But when Jesus came on the scene, when he touched something, what happened? It became clean. With this new covenant, with this Jesus that we're worshiping, with this Savior, when we come in contact with him, we get an opportunity to be more like him instead of him becoming more like us, right? And this is amazing because if we truly think about the holiness of God and that he's extending that to you, you know, Little old Texan, little old Australia, little old wherever you're from, California, New York, Jamaican, wherever you're from. He's extending holiness to you. He's saying, I have it, and I freely give it. The question, would you want to receive it? Would you want to accept the holiness from God? Because with accepting that, it, it's a cost. It's a trade. And it's definitely a trade that I think is worth it. Because in four, verse 14, it says, as obedient children, there in 1 Peter chapter 1, we read it earlier, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So he's saying, yes, I can give you holiness, teens. I can give you holiness, singles. I can give all of you guys holiness, but it takes not conforming to your evil desires. That means as we grow closer, as we walk closer to God, we must let go of the sin that so easily entangles. And you think, you know, how can I be holy? I'm just the man. I'm just the woman. I'm just... I'm just a simple person. But he says, don't conform to the pattern. That conformity, it's a pattern. It's something that you do day in and day out. He says, don't conform to those evil desires, but instead be obedient as children. How many times do we try to walk with God and try to hold our sin with us as we go visit God? We try to hold our pride. We just got in an argument with our family. 
We just, you know, maybe got kicked out of school. We just was cursed out at McDonald's by someone just because I got in line before them. So many different things that change the trajectory. How are we going to do it? Are we going to conform to what the rest of the world doing? Or are we going to let go as we get closer to God? Even as you're here worshiping God, are there things that you're still holding on to? Are there things that you still won't refuse? Like, God, I can have this, but I can still have pornography over here. I want both of them, God. God, I want to have you, yes, but I don't want to let the brothers and sisters know the real me. So I'm a lie. I'm going to be deceitful. And we try to hold on to both. And one thing about a holy God, which is a man that he is holy, is that he don't put up with two-facedness. Amen? And that's one thing that we want to make sure that we're doing here as representatives of God's kingdom is that we're not being like the Christian world that's trying to be, or that's being hypocrites. That's instead of leading the life of God, We're trying to praise and sing and give our contribution. But then we're going home and we're being citizens of this world. I read an article this week. And the article was a guy who was fed up with Christianity. And the reason he was fed up with Christianity is because every time he saw Christians, he saw the world. The same people that was reading their Bible and worshiping God was the same people that was at the club on Saturday night. It was the same people that's cursing out the customer care representative for AT&T for not getting their bill right. Those people that's supposed to be holy because God is holy, they're not being it. What does that do? That draws people away. They're like, I don't want, I want anything to do with God Jesus, his word, or church because of the example that we lay. It's convicting. Not only is it convicting, but it's inspiring as well. Because the other side of the coin is true as well. Is that when we're being the light, when we're being holy as God has created us, people start taking note. People start taking note of brothers like Preston. It's like, hey, man. You know, you didn't go after the teacher. You wasn't vindictive of the teacher because of the grade you got. You took it on the chin. You're like, that's what I earned, so that's what I'm, I'm going to get. That don't mean I'm going to go fight for the other point four or a hundredth of a point, however much that he needed. But people take note of that. They take note when you get overlooked for a promotion And instead of being envious or jealousy of that person that was hired before you, that you say, man, I'm going to help them out just like they was my peer. People take note of that. Listen to this uh, quote from uh, Martin Luther King. He talks about humankind and the impact that we can make. We'll put it up here so that uh, everyone can see it. He says, make a career of humanity. It will enrich your spirit as nothing else possibly can. 
It will give you that rare sense of nobility that can only spring from love and selflessness helping your fellow man. You will make a greater person of yourself, a greater nation of your country, and a finer world to live in if we can really make it a career of humanity. Really encouraging man, loving man, being out there uh, like Ivan had talked about before, serving our community yesterday. Those are awesome opportunities. But the question is, when people look at your life, do they see God or do they want to run away from him? Do they see his holiness? Do they see the discipline that goes in it? Do they see the self-control? Do they see somebody whose mind is ready for action? Or do they see someone that's still trying to cling to evil, to simple desires, even though God has something so much greater than that? My question I have for us is, are you ready to be holy? Are you ready to be set apart, to be sacred, to be one that is like God? Not, not God, right? We, we, we're not, we don't want to have a God complex. But as he is holy, we can be holy. You know, the, my brother is uh, Jay. He's reading a book, uh, Real Heretics. Please stand up. And I picked it up this week. And in page 19, it talked about we aren't criticized we being Christians. We aren't being criticized totally or for being totally absorbed in the interest of the heavenly kingdom, ignoring the things that the world has to offer. It says, in fact, Christians today are accused of just the opposite, of being money-hungry and hypocritical in their devotion to God. He said, we're known more today for our hypocrisy and our chase after money in the American dream. Dare that be said about the kingdom of God, amen? That can be imposters, but not for us that profess Jesus Christ as Lord, amen? And as I ask that question, are you ready to be holy? I want to look at three quick things from this passage of how we can accept what God is trying to do through us. How can we accept his holiness? And the first one is we must be alert and fully sober. In verse 3, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. When Christ Jesus is revealed, we have something that we can live to. We have something that we could be dedicated to. But in order for us to be dedicated to it, we must be alert and we must be fully sober. You know, we got this, uh, this picture of one of the guys are fully alert and one of the guys is not. And unfortunately, the guy at the wheel is the one that's not alert. Typically, if, if it was reversed, you're like, okay, we can make this work. But if you're at the wheel, you got to be alert and fully sober. We got to have our minds wits about us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, I'll just read it to you. 
It says, therefore, beloved, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles the body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Guys, we can't be alert and fully sober if we're not cleansed of our sins. If God hasn't taken our sins away from us, it's like children. I was talking to a uh, dad, a young dad uh, earlier this week. He was like, yeah, my, my kids, they normally do pretty well obeying. But for some reason, every time we go to a function, I mean, they, they just off the wall. And I've been there at some of those functions. I'm like, have you ever took note of how much sugar your kids eat at those functions? <laughs> because every time your head turns, they grab a cupcake. Every time you start in a conversation, they grab a cookie. And next thing you know, they had five to seven cookies, and they only butter 30 pounds. They're a two-year-old. And they want to be alert. They want to be fully sober, but sugar can do crazy things to a kid, can it? And they, they're like, I want to obey daddy, but I can't do it, you know? They're stuck. You think about our lives, our spiritual lives. We can be in that same sense like, man, I want to be holy. I want to apply God's word. I want to do what I've been created to do. But then we're not willing to let go of the sugar. We're not willing to let go of our pride, of our selfishness. We're not willing to confess. We're not willing to use what we have to help us be alert and fully sober. And I saw this in my own life. Because I share it with you guys many a time. I'm a people pleaser. I like to avoid conflicts. But God was sharing, showing with me is that that's not being set apart. That's not being what he called me to be. And he came, and it came to a crossroads. Well, I need to share something with a dear friend of mine. But I didn't want to share it because I knew it could be some friction when I shared it. And so I came to that place. Do I want to be an alien of this world? Or do I want to be an alien in the kingdom of God? Which one was I going to be a citizen of? Was I going to be holy like God is holy? And it was a couple of times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to that brother today. The day go by, I don't talk to him. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, Tomorrow. Vashti, tomorrow. I'm going to talk to him, Vashti. Tomorrow. Tomorrow go by, I still don't talk to you. By the grace of God, I finally talked to that brother today, and he didn't even respond, not today, but this week. He didn't even respond how I thought he was going to respond. Why is that? Because Satan, he puts things in our mind that truly does hamstring us, right? where it handicaps our ability to make right relationships with those that are close to us. And the thing about it, he says, oh, man, you don't really need to talk to that brother. But what's the truth? Is that bitterness, because I'm not talking, it starts growing in my heart. And it gets bigger and bigger. And for some reason, I don't even want to see this brother in the fellowship anymore. That's how Satan tries to work with us, right? But are we ready to be holy? Amen. Amen. The next thing, after being alert and being fully sober, 
Set your hope on eternity. Verse 13, it says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. When is Jesus Christ going to be revealed again? It's going to be on judgment day. It's not going to be today. Well, it could be today. I take that back. I don't know. But whenever that day is, we want to be ready, amen? We want to set our hope on eternity. He, he elaborates, Peter elaborates on this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 5. He says, praise be to God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, not a dead one, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Not a dead faith, but a living hope in Christ Jesus. And this we need. Because sometimes, just like we all know, the things that are happening here on earth, if that's all we had to look forward to, this would be a life that's not desired. You know, one of our dear friends, uh, many of you guys know Adam and Bethany Smith. They oversee our, the Congregational Singles Ministry. And Bethany just found out that she has breast cancer. She has it. And the thing to think about, the wrestle with is like, why God? Why me? Why am I going through this trouble right now? Why am I going through this challenge? Why am I going through this right now? Then we have scriptures like this to remind us. This world is not our home. This is not it. I mean, it's still tragic. It still is taxing to go through the rehabilitation for it or just trying to get rid of the cancer. But God is reminding us that this world, this is not the end stop. This is not the goal of our faith is to live life here on earth, but to be with him in heaven one day, amen? So once we're alert and fully sober, we must, in order to continue that, set our hope on eternity, amen? 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, And everyone who has this hope in him, they purify them himself, just as he is pure. God is the only one that could take sin away from us. But he gives us the ability to stay away from the sin. He said, I'm not going to control you. I'm going to give you a Holy Spirit that you can follow. But you still have to say no to sin and yes to holiness. Amen. And the last thing is you set your hope on eternity. Be alert. We must encourage each other. Peter, he wrote this letter thinking about the disciples who were scattered throughout Asia Minor. As he stroked each pen or the ink on the paper, he was thinking, how can I encourage this brother and sister? 
How can I encourage this sister to continue to prepare communion for the body here? How can I prepare this brother to continue, to continue to reach out to his neighbor? How can I continue that even when cancer strikes the body, that he cannot take our faith? It's through encouragement. I love the time of having a few minutes to be able to talk about what we're reading through our word. What are we reading through 1 Peter? Don't miss that opportunity, amen. We don't want to go another year where we decide to read something as a congregation and we're just not being unified, amen. But instead, diving in and seeing that, man, it's so much richness in the word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God on the day that he visits. He's saying that the good lives, that the holiness that we can live out in this world can turn a pagan to being ready to see God face to face on judgment day. Because that's when he's going to visit us again, right? That the things that you do, the way that you react... The way that you're quick to forgive or quick to apologize for infractions that you do against someone. The way that you're being selfless and compassionate. The phone calls that you make to remember this brother's or sister's birthday every year. Those different things, that can help someone be holy as he is holy. You didn't know you had that kind of power, huh? Or maybe you did, because y'all are in y'all word, amen? But that's what we want. We don't want a life where we're driving people away from God because of our hypocrisy. We want to usher people in to the kingdom of God. We want to choose a life that causes people, when they see your life, that all they can do is praise God. Then they say, man, I'm going to start getting into this word. I don't know where to start, but I'm going to start reading my word just because of what I see you doing right now, just because of who you are. I ask you again, are you ready to be holy? Are you ready to be made holy? And are you ready to decide to be holy by obeying God's scripture? Amen. We're going to take an opportunity to take the bread and the juice and really contemplate what else is there. If I don't choose holiness, what what is there else to choose? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, I just thank you. I thank you how you continue to show us more of who you are. You show us more of of how you reach it out to us, how you desire to make us holy like you, how you desire that the decisions that we make, 
that the words that are coming out of our mouths, you want them to be as such to help people praise you. To help people whose marriages are on the rocks right now, that they could be turned around because of humility and compassion and kindness. That families that are being torn apart by fathers who are exasperating their children, that you can turn that around where fathers are praising gods and their sons and daughters are following suit right behind. You have much in store for this world as you want to prepare us to see you one day. I pray that we, that we have the conviction that we're going to live out the life that you created for us. That we're no longer going to take a free book and let it be in our bookshelf, but we're going to open it We're going to read it. We're going to apply it for your glory. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the men and women in this room. Thank you for those that are visiting. And I pray that we all say yes to all we ready to be holy as you are holy. I do want to pray for your guidance and your protection over the Smith family, over Bethany, as she fights cancer and clings on to her faith in you. And I thank you for giving her such a great cloud of disciples to be able to encourage her and lift her up. And I thank you more than anything that you're here encouraging us, pleading us to finish the good race. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.